Welcome to the Korea Pro Podcast. I'm your host, Chung Min Kim, the Editorial Director of Korea Pro. And I'm John Lee, the Editor of Korea Pro. Join us for a weekly 15-minute conversation as we dive into the most pressing stories shaping South Korea and dissect the most complicated ones for you. From politics to culture, technology to society, we've got you covered. So stay ahead of the curve and never be sidelined again. So get ready for a fresh perspective on South Korea's news. This is the Korea Pro Podcast. All right, it is Wednesday now, and we are recording in the middle of the week. Tungmin, it's been, as usual, been a hectic week already. Mm. So could you tell us what's been going on with the doctor strike? Well, the doctors are still continuing their strike. A lot of people remain resigned, and a lot of people remain outside their workplaces. Right, the although word that's being used is meltdown. Right, and, and although the government has been saying that after their deadline, they have given the doctors to come back by Thursday, which is tomorrow, February 29th. The government does say that some doctors came back, but they are not releasing specific numbers. Their deadline was that if they come back to work by Thursday, they won't receive any penalties. And which is quite saying something, because although they s- have not specified how many doctors have come back, hmm. what we do know is that at least 9,000 doctors have submitted their resignations, or at least they walked off their jobs. Hmm. And I'm not quite sure how the all 9,000 of these doctors are going to come back within 24 hours less than 24 hours in fact right and also can you just brief us a little bit on what has been going on per reports um, at, at hospitals and emergency rooms well like I said just now the word being used is meltdown mm. hospitals are still operating at fractions of their normal capacity and there were a few cases where some patients were died. left yeah they died and the doctors and the government are trading blame and the doctors saying that it's the government's policies uh, that has uh, prevented them from taking care of the patients and of course, the government, along with even opposition policymakers, lawmakers, are saying that this is the fault of the doctors. No one's taking responsibility for this right now. Right, and there there has been some development when it comes to negotiation between the doctors' association and the government. It seemed like a few senior doctors, like professors or heads of certain associations, were suggesting internally that they have to come up with a negotiation point as soon as possible because of the meltdown that sure. you just explained. It seemed like the main doctors' association. Korea Medical Association. The Korean Medical Association. They suggested a new number on the spiking of the medical school quota. What's the latest number? The latest number that they propose is 350. And what's the government's number? 2,000. That's a big gap. That's a big gap, and neither side is budging. Now, to be fair, the 350 is still a new number, so this is showing that the KMA is willing to show some kind of compromise. Very little compromise. Very little bit. Also, also it's um, incoherent as well, because in the previous administration, I believe, when there was a suggestion about 400 seats. They said it's too much. Too much, but you know, now that UN has come up with a much bigger number, mm-hmm. so I guess 350 is acceptable. The important thing is that number 2,000. UN has said that this is a number that the government cannot and will not compromise on. And UN, as anyone who's observed South Korean politics since he became president is aware of, he likes to use these uh, strong tactics, whether it was cement truckers or whether it was nurses or now the doctors. He treats all of these unions with the same brush, doesn't mm. he? And even with the doctors. And it was interesting because I went to a press conference with the new Futurist Party leader, former Democratic Party leader and Prime Minister Lee Nagyon. Mm-hmm. He was trying to position himself as a little bit of a mediator role or a centrist role. Right. Even with this doctor's strike issue, he repeated the Democratic Party position and the PPP's position and the government's position that we cannot forgive doctors for doing this because it's just not ethical. But the numbers 
too big and it could have been a gradual increase. Although it was interesting to see how Inagyan framed this about a sort of devil's advocate on what Yoon is doing wrong. It was exactly your point about the rhetoric that Yoon was giving. And his point was that although it's doctor's fault for not negotiating or, and not budging, uh, Yoon's way of negotiating with people by using strong rhetoric, such as no negotiation, anti-state activity, it's not going to work with the doctors because with the labor unions and other vulnerable population, let's say, it may have worked in a couple of cases in the past year, but doctors are very privileged class here. And the way he is approaching it, the same way he uses to labor unions, he was saying that it's just not efficient and it, they're not going to listen to that. Plus, d the doctors have a bit more leverage than cement truckers did. Right, The doctors exactly. have actual hostages. Mm. And so this is a negotiating tactic between the doctors and the, and the president. Now, let's be fair, Inagyon is being a very smart politician by taking the centrist position, mm. laying blame on both sides. Mm. But I'm not sure if this is actually realistic when he says that there should be some sort of compromise with the numbers. Because as we talked about last week, there is a doctor short and mm. even if we have 2,000 additional slots in the medical schools, that might still not be enough to cover the doctor shortage. So I'm not sure if Inagyan's proposal, as smart as it sounds, will actually be practical in the long term. Well, let's move on to the Inagyan presser deep dive a little bit more. He touched on multiple topics there, from birth rate to other social issues, gender gap, his take on what he thinks of Lee Jun-suk, his formal ally. Dongji, I believe, was Dongji, the word that he used. but now divorced. Um, Comrade, for those of you yeah, who don't he name-dropped Moon Jae-in again, although this is a North Korea realm a little bit. He mentioned that Yoon Sagar should go for inter-Korean summit and that they could tap Moon to play a certain role in that, although North Korea really, really hates Moon. So it's not practical, uh, like you mentioned with the doctor strike position that he gave. But he has a political calculation that he is going for, which is exactly a centrist image and also his links to more established politicians. The former South president, Korea. exactly. Right. It's a known playbook for right. South Korean politicians to go for it during the campaign season to put the name of a renowned politician in their posters, the photos that they took on their Instagram and Facebook and so on and so forth. It's smart politics to be able to link back to a former president who was, mm. whether you agreed with his politics or not, mm. highly popular, mm. whereas Yoon can't exactly align with any previous conservative mm. presidents because they've all either been disgraced or went to prison. Right, but and also the strategy that Inagan took yesterday was very interesting because he also mentioned Japan policy. Could you tell us a bit more about that? He was basically, he started off with criticizing the UN administration's concessions that they made to Japan with a deal earlier uh, last year, I believe. But he was also partly criticizing the Moon administration for not taking a less of a concession sort of deal that they came up with while he was a prime minister. And he was saying that it would have been better if they took it, although it would have been much better than Yoon's version of a deal. Praising Moon on one side and criticizing with another. I thought it was a smart move and I could see that there was certain calculation in that and when it comes to his criticism on Lee Jae-myung, the leader of Democratic Party. No love lost there. No. And there was a very interesting claim. He said that he watched South Korean politics for 40 years, either as a journalist or a politician. He said that this is the most violent um, candidacy nomination ever when it comes to general election. Do you think that's true? So many defections. Hmm. Now, you know much more about this than I do, but the Democratic Party has been saying that a lot of these DP lawmakers, hmm. who many have 
have uh, voted against him during the votes to potentially arrest him have been getting penalized by saying that they are underperforming. Now, I'm not quite sure what the criteria is or how these lawmakers are being scored. Could you tell us a bit more about that? Well, I will be writing an analysis about this because it's quite technical, but it seems that 40% of the scoring system comes from whether or not there is a high likelihood of him or her winning which is very difficult to gauge. They will have to look at opinion polls, but that's also not clear. So from the start, this is a very gray area where the leadership can actually take advantage of because it's not that transparent how to see who will be. Yeah, I read up a little bit on it, and I got to say, I think figure skaters are scored in a much more transparent manner than the way that these lawmakers are being scored. Exactly. All the parts of the scoring systems are stuff like how well did the lawmakers do with their legislations and bill proposals or, you know, their dedication to ethical standards and moral So not exactly an well. objective scoring system. No, not at all. And we are already seeing a lot of reports about multiply elected lawmakers. Four-term lawmakers. Four-term lawmakers leaving or giving deadline to the Lee Jae-myung leadership to change the policy. Saying that they're going to defect from the party and join Lee Nagyon's new party. Right. Park Young-suk left DP, I think, yesterday. Uh, who's a very senior lawmaker. Uh, Seol-hun also just left this morning. Like, And looks like it's messed up. I guess this is one way of trying to win an election, to alienate your voter base and your lawmakers and trying to shrink your party. There are other um, interesting takes that I saw about this. It seems that some people think that Lee Jae-myung's priority right now with the scoring system and the very hectic, violent, quote-unquote, candidacy nomination is not really for winning the election, but trying to have a full-fledged, powerful leadership over DP. I believe one of the latest uh, lawmakers who defected criticized Lee Jae-myung, saying that he's basically just trying to stay out of prison as opposed to having a coherent opposition party. I honestly think that that's what it is. And it's increasingly looking like it's very di- it's going to be very difficult election for the Democratic Party, looking at the polls. Which is great news for the president, I guess. And the PPP. Right. And probably all their minor parties as well. And what will be a more longer-term implications of this in terms of policy? I'm not sure how long-term you're talking about because mm. there is a lot of let's speculation. Say, let, let's say within Yoon administration term. Th- that's a thing. Sure, the PPP might actually turn out winning, mm. quote-unquote, this election, but will it be really winning? Because there's a very strong chance that after the election, Inagyan might return to the Democratic Party to challenge Lee Jae-myung's uh, leadership. Sure, at the very near term right now, after the election, Yoon's foreign policy and domestic politics might likely get a boost. Mm. Yoon has been pushing for deregulation. He's been pushing for friendly ties with the U.S. and Japan, he might get some of that. But if Inagyan returns to the Democratic Party later on, this might return to the status quo, won't it? Well, also, even if he does not return to the Democratic Party and sticks to his ethical justification, uh, which is promoting multi-party sort of structure in the National Assembly, even if he does not go back, the policy line on foreign policy um it does not change that much. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to voting on specific agenda at the plenary session, I don't think it's going to change that much. Mm-hmm. Is there any part that will actually change due to these multi-party sort of structure? When it comes to uh, deregulating the economy, when it comes to corporate tax cuts, it's very hard for you to do that. Mm-hmm. Because even if Inagyan doesn't join the DP, they are much aligned in this in this sort of area. So when it comes to economic policy... When you Yoon, say they... They being the Democratic Party and the New Futures Party. Mm. So 
in that regard, you might not have all that much success. But when it comes to foreign policy, that's the president's playground. He can do pretty much what he wants. What about any other domestic topics that they might diverge on the DP and the New Futures Party? Perhaps one area that they might disagree on would be whether or not to revise the current election system, like the how big the district should be, or the semi-MMP system that you're not going to really hate it. Sure, those two did not really get along with those uh, election processes. But that's also another big question mark, isn't it? Right. It's really hard to understand how a party leader can decide the election system that they are going to use just weeks before the election deadline itself. Now, how this will actually play out, I'm not quite sure. Mm. Because this has been a debate that's been going on ever since this new rule was implemented in 2020. So your guess is as good as mine. Well, let's go even further. Fast forward, it's presidential election. 2027, all mm. right. And let's say Lee becomes a front runner of the progressive, whatever party name it would be at the time. He very well could be considering the polls right now. Right. What kind of presidential candidate will he be like? You know, again, will very be much like uh, Moon, Moon Jae-in 2.0. Hmm. Now, he might be somewhat uh, less extreme, shall we say, when it comes to... Uh, Probably less hostile uh, towards Japan compared to Moon. Exactly. But will he be able to follow in the f same footsteps when it comes to North Korea? Hmm. I doubt it. The world has changed too much since Moon uh, left the office. Hmm. So he will try to build up uh, from where Moon Jae-in left off in hmm. many different ways. Now, will the party, will the party be able to back up whatever he wants to pursue. That really depends on what happens this coming April, doesn't it? And for more, I am doing a weekly series called Election Watch. So for latest development in South Korean domestic politics up until April 10th, subscribe for more. Unlock the full Korea Pro experience by joining our community. Stay informed, stay ahead, and never miss a beat on Korean affairs that matter. Subscribe today and transform the way you understand Korea. All right, let's move on to the week ahead. One of the biggest things that's coming up is March 1st holiday. What is this public holiday? The March 1st holiday is a day that commemorates the independence movement that began in 1919 against Japanese colonialism, which, again, Yoon will be giving, most likely, he will be giving an address on March 1st. Now, unlike previous presidents, of course, he might uh, take a different tone, mm. again, regarding per our very close neighbor. <laughs> well, per precedent, usually this is a day that South Korean presidents use the opportunity of the speech marking this holiday to say something about colonialization and you know, future-oriented Japan policy. Sure. But as we saw in the previous year, Yoon tends to not say something like that. No, uh, I believe last year he referred to Japan during that same speech as a democratic partner, which was uh, quite a different tone compared to previous presidents. Now, of course, Japan is a democratic partner, and South Korea and Japan has a closer relationship since Yoon became president. But it's about the timing and the very fact that he's talking about Japan and that speech, isn't it? Right. And also, this comes after a very interesting and very viral history debate in South Korea. What is it about? Konguk-Tanzeng, or The Birth of Korea, which is a documentary movie that just came out not too long ago. It's about the country's founding president, Lee Seung-man, or Seung-man Rhee, as it's written in English. Very weird spelling. Very weird spelling. But one of our contributors, Ben Engel, wrote an excellent piece about this documentary. But anyway, because of this movie and about how it's trying to reframe the way people look at the first president, mm. this might be a bit interesting, isn't it? Right, and although Martin March 1st speech is not exactly about the founding president, although it, it touches on the era that is related to the founding president's legitimacy. Right. So 
maybe it will come up. Never mind that Lee Seung-man was very anti-Japanese. Right. I don't think he will mention Lee Seung-man directly in his speech, but he could say something related to seeing facts straight in history. Reassessing our views on history. And roots of Korea. Right. So this should be a rather interesting speech, considering how by the time he gives a speech, elections will be about 40 days away. Right. The second thing to watch for in the coming week or weeks is the Freedom Shield U.S.-South Korea joint exercises. This is a springtime one, usually done mid-March, but this time it starts on March 4th, spanning 11 days like last year. And the number, the headcount of the soldiers participating in this drill will be similar, I heard, but field training exercises will be doubled compared North to last year. North Korea would love that. Ooh, they will love that. And North Korea has already threatened that they will respond very strongly to the FS training. Oh, wait, North Korea threatens us? What day is it? Oh, it's another day that ends with day. <laughs> okay. Anyways, and something interesting about this time is that although the nuclear operation drill will be not this time, but the U UFS, Ochi Freedom Shield, in August, UNC member states will be participating this time, like last August. Sure. And something else interesting this time is that this comes after North Korea conducted back-to-back -back multiple uh, cruise missile tests, and South Korea and the U.S. will practice shooting them down, basically. And for more, check out our Monday newsletters, which will be sent to your inbox on Monday afternoon. Please check that out. Subscribe for more. And that's a wrap. Thanks for tuning in. If you want to know more, sign up for our daily executive briefings. We brief you on all you need to know from the past 24 hours and why they matter every morning in your inboxes. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast for your weekly dose of insight. And until next time, I'm Jungmin Kim. And I'm John Lee. Stay connected, stay informed, and we'll see you next time on the Grapefruit Podcast.